Welcome back to the Girls Talk Egg Podcast, plowing through the manure online. Uh, this week's extra special episode, because they're all extra special, is entitled Work That Ass Set. Uh, we're going to talk about the farm economy or something like it. At least that's the plan right now, getting started. Jen and Karen are here. Uh, say hi, Karen. I'll let you say hi first because I know Jen has something she needs to get off her chest before we get going in this thing or she's going to explode. So go ahead. <laughs> hello. Hello, so, hello, hello. There is Karen. Karen just got back from North Dakota and boy, are her arms tired, right? Were you in North Dakota this week? Yesterday? I was the end of last week. No, end of Wednesday last week. through Friday last week. Yep. It all blurs together. And it does. Jen, our fearless hero, lady of the Whoa. night. I don't know. Not, not sure I want to be a lady of the night, but <laughs> might pay better than farming, Jen. It actually might. Never mind. Probably a lot better. Yeah. Depending probably. on your clientele. So so yeah. Say hi, Jen. Hey. Jen, get your get your get, get my clarification off my chest here. You yeah. know, we're we're gonna talk about the farm economy and bankruptcy and people quitting farming and and just from my standpoint. You know, we've been through some bad times and we've been through some really good times. I just think we can judge and we can talk and we can suppose all we want about other people's situations. But in the end, you know, unless they're asking me to pay their bills, it's seriously none of my concern. And there's probably so much more to the story than we will ever know being outsiders. I, I don't know. I'm all up for discussing it because I think it's fascinating. But but believe me. My eyes glaze over when it comes to money, ask Chris. So if I say th- if I say things that are offensive, yeah, I'm sorry, kind of, but that's okay. I'm- kind of. If we were kind offensive of. on this podcast, what would we be, really? Right, exactly. Exactly. We're a little naughty. That's what we are. I mean, um, we can, you know, we can make up stories about people like so-and-so did this or, or my God, did they even do that? I don't know. I just... I just know if I'm ever in that situation, I hope someone says, well, we don't know the whole story, but I sound oh, like Angie my mom and I are going to feed every rumor. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just That's to see what wild and crazy thing we can come up with. Awesome. They're going to involve biker gangs and oh, okay. things of Prostitutes. That yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ladies of the night. You know, <laughs> here's the deal. You know, when it comes down to, to, to my turn, if that ever happens, God forbid. Yeah, let's make it good. I, I want, yeah. <laughs> a I mean, story we might to as well remember. make it good. Let's make it a story to remember. It has to be, or else it's just not worth it. So, right. so no, really. And and I mean, that's we're not, uh, this is not a, a discussion meant to to point fingers or say someone's did something wrong or, or you know, God forbid, kick someone when, when they're down. Um, it's just time you know, to have kind of this pertinent sort of discussion. And there's been several things that have come up the last few weeks um, that have really got, you know, my wheels turning on this thing. And and with the final, you know, hey, we need to talk about this coming last week when I, I met with the Nebraska Bankers Association or, or spoke for them anyway uh, at their fall agribusiness conference. They had awesome breakfast burritos, like the best breakfast burrito I've ever had in my entire life at the Cornhusker Marriott wow. in uh, Lincoln. Seriously, they were fantastic. My sitter was in awe because she got it for free for one. And I was like, just stick with me. You'll go far. This is the first of many breakfast burritos. But... <laughs> 
we, uh, you know, we really had a conversation and, and what really kind of stuck with me or, or uh, I walked away from, you know, really thinking hard about was after I got done talking, we had a little bit of time and because uh, apparently I talked extra fast because the day prior I'd went too long. So I was scared to death. I was going to run into lunch for this presentation. And oh, you never yeah. want to do that. No, that's what I said. I actually got done like 15 minutes early and I'm like, is that okay? And everyone resoundingly was like, yes. Like it was just like, <laughs> thank you for being done early. But so after I got done, um, two bankers from the same bank came up and uh, uh, the guy asked me, he said, so what do you do if your chance at breaking even doesn't come? And I said, I looked at him and I, I said, you pray. No, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that was the first thought. You pray a lot. Um, you pray you know, a lot. Even then, it, it doesn't. You know, you just. I don't. I don't know what you say in that issue. And and you, you know what you you tell him. You pray. Your banker st- prays and stands behind you too. Well, that's the problem. Is these guys are the bankers, and the one the one issue they brought up in particular was that um, their customer, um, you know, what, the customer that they they are, are working with needed or was planning on or, or told them at the start of the year in order to pay back everything, he needed $4 corn, cash corn. And he was working on putting together a, a non-GMO corn program. And he was waiting and he was excited and he thought for sure uh, it would come together. And, you know, the market was running up and everything looked really good. And then the market collapsed and the contract never came through. And now he's trying to figure out what the hell he's going to do. This The farmer is. And the problem with the banker the ba- that the banker has right now is they said, well, can he extend his credit? He did last year. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, so, Part of the covenants, you know, the, the borrowing covenants and, and all of that was to, um, to to pay everything off by the end of this year. And so now he's looking at, you know, 355 futures, um, you know, no cash premium really with this non-GMO corn. And the banker's like, what what do we do? And well, I don't... I don't I have think, an answer. I don't yeah, know. I, I, mean, I think what kind of brought this subject up for us is... Um, the farm in Michigan who was being sued for 150 million in unpaid bills. I think that kind of started it. Am I wrong? No, so, right. so to, to be honest, I had never looked at it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I pulled it up this morning. And I think the thing that stuck out for me in this article that was, I don't even know. Do I need to quote woodtv.com? I don't know. Anyway, it says yeah. channel eight right, from Grand Rapids. Yes. Yes. Raymond attributed the farm company's financial woes to the falling price of corn. Over the last several years, corn price has taken a hit. Five years ago, it sold for $8 a bushel. What kind of moron puts on their on their bank statements that they hope to bank $8 a bushel? Yeah. Well, and what kind what, of bank who, lets you do that? Who lends yeah. money with that right. thought process? Who, in says, who says, oh... Oh, yeah, this is going to work out. $8 corn. All Who kinds of people, an oh entire industry. God. I mean, that's that's the problem right now is that I can't tell you how many quote unquote experts in 2010, you know, said we'd never see sub $5 corn again. You know, those are the same guys, of course, that are telling you now that we'll never see, you know, plus $4 corn again. But I digress. Which I think, I, how do they know that? Are you kidding me? No one me? knows. No one knows. Why? It's bullshit. Who, who I mean, I'm sitting here. Kind of stuff? 
Yeah, I'm sitting here as someone who, you know, part of my job is to try and guess which direction the market's going to go. And I can tell you, I mean, in every market talk I give, I tell you the things that I watch that give an indication as to what might happen. But no one can tell you for sure what the market's going to do. Ever. 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 No. If anyone tells you that, run from them because they're crazy. But what didn't you you tweet the other day something about six dollar wheat or something? Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I We sold $6 wheat. I know that. Right, you um, said I thought, I, I can't, the only reason I remember is Chris saw the tweet and he made some transaction. He's like, oh my God, we don't even have to raise wheat this year. I think I just made enough money that we don't even have to raise wheat. <laughs> Where are you going to spread like, your shit? And I'm like, dude, Chris, we have to spread Angie shit. will take her cut. <laughs> Yes, exactly. exactly. And you deserve it. But, but yeah, nobody <laughs> nobody knows. Who, no, who says no one knows. five years ago we had $8 corn? Oh, my God. You better yeah. update your balance sheet. Well, and that's what the thing is, is I think the lawyer put that in there as a way to try to generate public sympathy. And the fact remains with, with this guy in particular, you know, they're... And it, it's a it's a delicate line because I don't want to talk poorly about him and and uh, well, end up with a a lawsuit yes. on my hands. But the fact well, is, see, and I'm judging here after I made the, the statement. It, in this instance, honestly, Jen, in this instance, just with my experiences, you can. I was there. I've sat in the middle of this. I've watched these business transactions take place. You know, I've watched family farms sell for two, three thousand dollars more an acre than what they should because the investment group working with him or his farm itself is purchasing land well above going rates, um, renting land out from underneath other people well above going rates, you know, basically having the stamp that's deal handed to him. And that's, you know, so. We watched this, and and I actually had a customer say to me after the everything came out and and became public. He said, "You know, Ange, um, you told me a thousand times that there's no magic beans, and I'm not talking soybeans. I just mean like Jack and the Beanstalk." He said, "And I always thought, you know, I was doing something wrong because I wasn't able to compete with him." You know, and now I find out that I wasn't able to compete with him because those business practices aren't mine. And, exactly. You know, that's and, that couldn't be more, and that's that couldn't be there. There are no across the board ag farming business practices. But no, he's not the no. only one. I mean, he's just you know right. the latest in a string because we had one oh, in totally. Illinois a couple years yeah. ago. You know, he was the one who wanted to be the biggest and the best, and he you know robbed Peter to pay Paul and all of that, and um. You know, he drove up all the cash rents and was trying to get to a certain amount of acreage all to defeat his ego. And, you know, he went out in a blaze of glory. So, yeah. I and I haven't he had heard one in North Dakota. Yeah. Yep. Right. One in North Dakota just recently. And then, you know, this is the second big guy in Michigan um, to have this happen to him. Um, you know, of course. And and uh, the first one was was a little bit more obvious. And and uh you know, yeah. So there's there are some ways that that people are doing things, you know, that just don't work. Um, you know, we talk about uh, during some of my my marketing talks and things like that. I talk about growth at all costs and how dangerous that can be. 
Um, and a, a lot of young farmers have been beat upside the head that they have to feed the world and they have to expand and they have to have more acres and they have to be this and they have to be that, you know, and they have to have a hired man and they have to have 87,000 pieces of brand new equipment in order to be a real farmer and, and be respected. You know, and part of me wonders if ag media doesn't kind of play into that or hasn't played into that a little bit. Um, but the reality oh. is... is I would Go love ahead, a ma- I would I would love a magazine that didn't have the latest equipment but told you what you could do with with what you're with already what you have yeah yeah wouldn't that be That's, amazing if I here's mean, a picture of a 1989 case tractor <laughs> I, you <laughs> know, let's be yeah. honest I plant all our soybeans with um a tractor a 4440 my my father in law bought brand new in '79 we yeah. still plant all our soybeans with it yeah. Yeah, you get it, of course, because it doesn't have auto steer and it makes it difficult for you to tweet. <laughs> right, I know. Chris you always can't says you can get from it, but okay. I know you. No, you can't podcast from it. And well, Chris always says you could get podcasting. more. Right, you could get more work done if you if you would quit stopping and tweeting. I'm like, oh, I don't stop to tweet. He's like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, but no, I mean that's and so that's been the the biggest struggle I think is is. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing, um, you know, it, it, in 2012, of course, we hit the highest level levels that we had seen ever in corn. I mean, we hit 848 on the December board and Michigan basis was a buck, buck 50 over in some spots. Um, you know, we literally were talking $10 corn for some farmers. And I can remember sitting in my office and one guy said, well, I'm not going to sell yet. I'm going to see what happens, blah, blah, blah. And my boss pulled out a $10 bill and said, bring me in 56 pounds of corn. And the guy, the farmer looked at him really weird. And he said, well, then you can tell everyone you sold for 10 bucks a bushel. Yeah. You know, he's like, what are you trying to accomplish here? And, and you know, Always at that waiting point in time, for, it's going to go up just one more cent. Just one well, more and cent. that's just it. I mean, and, and at that point in time, again, you know, you turned on your, your Saturday morning shows and stuff like that. And you had all kinds of market analysts telling you about all of the reasons that we had to see prices continue higher and how we were never going to go down again, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, now here we are five years later. Um, you know, in, in 2013 was the first year, um, I believe it was 13 that we dipped. I think it was around Mother's Day, we fell below five bucks. And, you know, fall of that year was kind of like, okay, this isn't as fun as it's been, but we'll be all right. And we're going to rally back. And then 14 came and it was, God, this kind of sucks, but we'll be all right. And we'll balance back. And then 15, it got more, you know, more lean and we, we tapped into, to more, of that cash that we had sitting around kind of deal. And now we're here, we are 16 and 17. And, and unfortunately, you know, this is, is where for some they've, they've got to get off the train, you know, and, and we've seen some high profile people say, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, before we hit the bottom or before this or before that. And, and I can tell you, you know, with my experience, there are several other guys that are probably quietly going to rent out their land next year and, and, you know, take a job that is focused on their, their education or skill set and, and probably not farm much. Anymore. And what do you do with those people, me to be exact, who don't have that skill set or that education to fall back on? Then you've got, you know, those people as well. I think there's so many different groups of farmers out there. You had the people who made it through the 70s flying high and toughed out the 80s. And then you've got... Uh, people like Chris Campbell, who came back to the family farm and started farming in the 80s. Man, 
that dude yeah. is conservative. Um, <laughs> oh, we and know. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Oh, I'm not even kidding. I mean, he, you know, he's afraid of his own shadow in some respects. And I think there's a whole group of guys out there that are like that. But you guys aren't sitting in a situation now, right? You're, I mean, it's, 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 it's lean, but you're not talking about shedding assets. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Make that perfectly clear. No, but when I, you know, as Chris says, you know, right now it's like a game of musical chairs. You know, you're constantly, um, you know, trying, living expenses are through the roof. I mean, we've got three teenage kids and, you know, and, and everybody's are, everybody at some is in some situation where everything is taking money. And so, you know, you've got, Chris calls it his game of musical chairs, you know, well, we need more acres to cover our living expenses, but more acres are higher cash rents. And, and, you know, it's just round and round and round. And where does the game stop? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I well, mean, that, that, that I hope, to get her own job. That'll help. Yes. Sorry, yes. Casey. But I hope that I sounds like a podcast right. for a later date. Later oh, date. yeah. You know. That's what. But, I just think that there's so many different varied, and you know, like the newer guys are coming in and things are a little better. And so, you know, that, that new equipment is shiny and, and boy, I, you know, companies like Deer are willing to loan money right and left right now. Oh, yeah. And they're they're optimistic. I mean, they're they're optimistic about the ag economy. I guess. Well, and, if we and, didn't have such a carryout, the ag economy wouldn't be so bad. Am I correct in saying that? Well, the prices wouldn't be as low. I mean, we yeah. have big carryout, but we have big global carryout. Okay. Um, you know, but forty eight percent of the world's wheat and forty four percent of the world's corn sitting in the hands of China. So, I mean, there's a whole huge multi level story as to you know, why the hell prices are doing what they're doing. But the fact is they, they are, um, you know, and, and, and they uh, always have. Yeah. We've, well, the thing is, is, is that between 2005 and, and 2012, basically, and I mean, it's still growing a bit, but you saw 5 billion bushel of corn demand come onto the market. You know, you don't, that's a third of our, almost a third of our overall demand, you know, so you increased almost overnight by 33%. Um, domestic demand. That's huge. And so that had a run up in price. And then at the same time, in the middle of all of that, you had um, a, a once in a generation um, supply problem with the 2012 drought, you know? So when it comes down to it, we, of course we had $8 and 50 cent corn. The problem is now um, a lot of people think that that's where it has to be. Um, and, and, you know, that's not the case. $5 corn is, is, you know, probably not necessary at this point in time. The last thing we want is to increase global production any more than what we already have. You know, we really want to discourage Brazil and Argentina and Russia from, from expanding because that weighs on our ability to, to, uh, to export, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where I argue that the best thing, and and we're going to get hate mail for this, so it's not Karen and Jen's opinion by any means, but the best thing for the U.S. farmer is to see prices stay between, you know, three fifty and four twenty five on the December. The problem because, well, you know, not. I mean, prices are all over the place. I mean, land prices did that too. Yeah, um, well, they got prices. jacked around. Yeah. And nobody, you know, nobody learned anything from that. Well, but aren't they, they aren't we part of our own problems since, you know, we've taken every single acre that, you know, and put it back into corn and soybean production instead of leaving well, yeah. some of the 
I know well, whenever I go I've... to North Dakota, the guys here in Illinois always say, well, the best advice you can give them is to stop growing corn, obviously. because <laughs> <laughs> Go back know. to dry beans. <laughs> Sunflowers, but you no, know, anything yeah. but corn as far as Illinois farmers are concerned. But, well, if uh, you look at it, you know, we planted a record large amount of corn here the last couple of years. 94 million acres last year, I think, was what it was. And you insane, know, guys though, I mean, a lot of the Illinois guys took out CRP in past year and whatnot and put in corn, too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just other well, states. High prices are a cure for high prices for that reason. High prices encourage significant expansions in supply. We saw it happen. And we're not going to outpace demand with that. I mean, we're not going to see another large chunk of demand um, come into the market structure at this point in time, even if we were to see... Um, the RVP, you know, the E15 RVP um, waiver type thing come in and, and we could use E15 across the board. I mean, that'll, that would help continue, but you're not going to see another huge chunk of, of demand. The reality is, is that the market is, is trying to correct um, this quote unquote oversupply. The problem that I, I argue that we have is that your, your input providers, and, and this is probably not going to get me any love either, um, they grew accustomed to high price corn and they right. built these headquarters with, I mean, have you seen some of the headquarters? And of none these of them wanted supplier? to be the first to give up their piece of the pie. So yeah, well, as the prices dropped quickly, the input prices did not. And they slowly, and I would say they still haven't even adjusted to the point where they need to, but yeah, that's no. an issue. And farmers need to take that into account you know, when they're planning things out that, that, that they're always going to be slower than when the, when the price drops. Yeah. That's, and so that's the other struggle that you have is that unfortunately your input prices have not gone down as they should. And they're not going, I mean, they're not, you've probably seen them drop as far as they're going to, unless every farmer out there starts putting his foot down, you know, and, and, uh, doesn't look to to buy from the guy that offers the best winter trip or something of that nature. I mean, I, there's there's things that go on in in some of these these input provider. I just I'm amazed by um you know some of it. And the the grain industry did it for a minute. Um you know, you had a lot of brokers offering some really awesome, you know, yearly yearly trips. You know, hey, we're going to go to New Orleans and oh, give you a about tour getting hate mail. Oh, yeah. Can you keep your shiny mail at home right. and your winter trips and just lower the cost of my seed, please? Oh, I would love I can't, I would like you, Jed, to just yell that from the mountaintops, because I think. Oh, my God. Eighty five percent of farmers would agree, if not more, you know, on on that. The amount the costs associated. I mean, we talked about it you know, with some of the what these interns get for some their summer jobs, you know, the pickups. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. You know, the pay. I'm, I'm going to be yeah, quiet. Yeah, but those are going to be yeah. leased. I mean. <laughs> but there's cost, still a cost associated. There is a cost, you know, but. It's, it is not free. I don't know. I just. If I was cutting costs, I guess it would be on the intern's head. <laughs> it would be for me because it's, it builds character. But no, and I mean. I'm not I drove a minivan when I was an intern. Come on. It <laughs> may have been See, the only time in my life I drove a minivan now that I think about it. I was never an intern, but I was an Maybe assistant. Maybe that's why and I hate minivans. <laughs> I wouldn't drive a minivan if you paid me. But a lot of people will be like, oh, but the space is phenomenal. No. Mm-mm. No. But, you know, I don't know. I just, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not well, pointing the, the or. Staff, 
I mean, a lot of the larger companies, they have a huge amount of staff. And I think that kind of wears on farmers, too, because, you know, they've gotten down to the bare minimum and the input companies have not done this. Well, not all of them. Some of them have really cut a fair amount of staff. But I'm the I'm the bare minimum employees around here. (laughs) But that's I mean, it's an amazing thing. Well, and like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to pick. On on input suppliers in general, like I'm not pointing at any particular one, but you guys just got back. It's from okay. Gee, most of them hate me already, so yeah, you're in good that's company. True. That's why I'll just go ahead and throw my my head on the wall there. But you guys just got back from from Farm Progress. You saw the. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine the millions of dollars probably spent to put on some of the the stuff that was put on for that. And I'm not saying we do away with it because I think that's part of what brings ag together and makes people, you know, happy or something of that nature. But um, you know, there's a lot of money being spent. I think on the backs of of farmers with the expectation that the farmers are going to continue to pay top dollar for for seed and chemicals and fertilizer and and uh, equipment and things like that. And, you know, no one's getting used to, to operating on tight margins except for the farmer and maybe the grain elevator through some fault of their own. Um, but Well, we had you know, several people say to us, you know, don't give us a free hat, give us a break on the price. And I was like, well, no we're just the hat yep. passer-outers. We have no power here. Right. Right. Your hats come from somewhere else. Yeah. We didn't spend the money on and I drove myself here, so yeah, no. Right, <laughs> <laughs> that's don't shoot the message, man. I'm just trying to give you a free hat. I just think that you better know your own numbers. Yeah, I think is the big the big thing here because um, Chris and I were talking earlier that um, you know we could go down to Deer right now and buy a brand new tractor because Deer would write you a note for it in a flat hot second. Yeah. Yeah. But um, my banker wouldn't. No. Um, I'd have to finance through Deer. Uh, my banker has a look at the whole picture, and Deer just cares about whether or not you can pay them at that point in time. But your credit Eventually, you're going to piss yeah. – yes. Eventually, you're going to piss your banker off. Yeah. Because he's going to know about that. Whether he's financing it or not, it's on their paper. Wasn't it Faber that tweeted that out where he bought a new tractor or whatever? His banker texts him. He's like, new number. Who dis? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that so was awesome. hysterical. Actually, yeah, that's yes. why I, that, and yeah. that's exactly right. I mean, it's like you better know your numbers. I think that that's the key because your bank sure as hell does, well, right? And why, you better know them. You know, unfortunately, went, sorry, Karen, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I went to a field day yesterday. Um, that the Hefty Seed in Princeton, Illinois, put on, and Randy Dowdy was one of the speakers. And that was, he kept hammering home, you know, you need to know what your costs are so that when you go to sell, you know that you're covering your costs. And he kept saying, you know, if you don't know that you're going to make money, why are you planting that crop? And at least in his case, you know, he has options. He can do corn, he can do soybeans, he can do peanuts, he can do cotton, and usually at least one of them can be profitable. And he also has some options for produce in the area that he's in, which we obviously wouldn't have. But he just kept saying, you know, a lot of farmers hope, but you need to write down those costs. You know, your hired man costs so much and you need to divide that out over the acres and and all these things. And he asked a couple of people to raise their hands, you know, who's been farming for 50 years? Who's been farming for 60? And he got he had three over 60 years and two of them were in the 60s and the other one was 70 and he goes, you know, he goes, you don't farm for 70 years unless you're making money. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. 
And so he had been, and he had his wife next to him, and they had been farming for 70 years and married for 70 years. Oh, wow. And so, um, Damn. I know, that's probably more of a bigger feat in itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's probably why he's been farming for 70 years. <laughs> and, and you know, that was one of the things that Dowdy said, you know, he's like, I'm not a good marketer, maybe I should have my wife do it, because she's less emotional. And But, you know, he's like, you have to know your costs. He's like, write down every single thing you pay for, your liability insurance, your crop insurance, your all of your inputs. And, you know, good grief. Chris could tell you how much I spent on tampons last year. And that's what it needs to be, unfortunately. (laughs) But not everybody is like Chris. No. No, you know, and that's, I and was I sitting will next to one of my growers and he's got spreadsheets for his rotations out for the next 10 years and has everything figured out to the penny. Yeah. But not all farmers yeah. are like that. You know, no, no, not Chris at all. is a special not farmer, but Chris is, Chris is special. Chris is special. <laughs> but not in this type of economy, says. that's an advantage. Yeah, it is an advantage. Oh, it's no. it's I've had this conversation with uh, several different people on, you know, um, what that means to know what you're you're up against and and there's very few businesses in fact there's probably zero businesses outside of farming in this this world that you could go to your bank and say i'm going to take a million dollars out for a business and the banker says okay well where's your business plan well it's just that i'm going to plant some stuff i'm going to create a product and then i'm going to sell it well what kind of market value do you think you're going to sell it for i don't know as much as i possibly can get you know, oh, well, here's a check for a million dollars. You know, that's not. And so I'll have so many people that'll flat out argue with me, come up to me after marketing meetings and say, there's no way I can figure out my cost per bushel. That's ridiculous. I don't know what my production looks like, blah, blah, blah. And I understand that you don't know what your production looks like, but you have an idea what your production trend looks like. You know, yeah, what you have your APH and what you've produced in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've had guys on Twitter, I've had guys, you know, face to face tell me that there is no way and that that's just a bullshit, you know, um, story that they should be able to figure out, you know, within the realm of X amount of, of, you know, whatever per bushel. And that's, it's like, you know what your cost per acre is, what, you know, what do you need to revenue per acre to get that? You'll be damned. You know, one of the points that, have? yeah, one of the points Dowdy made yesterday is he's like, you know, it's row crop farmers. He's like, if you ask a hog farmer or a beef farmer or a dairy farmer who produces milk, they all know their exact cost. Most, yeah, I would say <laughs> yeah. most do. I think there's and some a, cattle feeders out there that are probably like, oh, I don't know, I paid 150 <laughs> for a feeder, but it, we'll see what works out, you know. And that, yeah, no, but he just you, said in general, the mentality is different, so yeah. Farming on but hope. I just wanted to bring up another point. So, you know, this year was kind of a rough year. And I had a couple growers tell me early on, I'm not spending any more money on this crop. And, um, and you, you know, you have to know what that point is for the season, too. You know, if it's all going to crap, there's no reason to be spending extra money. And especially, we always tell people when they're on the line, you know, when you go to save bushels, are you saving your own or someone else's? You know, as opposed to what your crop insurance is. And a lot of guys don't look at it that way. Well, I just need to get the most possible. I'm like, no, you need to be the most profitable. Exactly. It's not your job to, you know, try and save somebody else's revenue. There there needs to be a... There needs to be an undone phase. Right. That, that, that mark. And this year we've where, had a lot of weed problems and people are like, why aren't they controlling them? I'm like, you know, at some point you just have done. to stop. You know, yeah. you can't yeah. bleed money. Yeah. Trying to control some pigweeds that are still going to be coming out of the ground for the next month. 
Well, and that's what you can't throw and not increase bushels. Exactly. It's a, sometimes sometimes it's just a matter of well they look bad. Yeah. I, I, I done, at this point well, you got to reach yeah. that. I'm done. And, I'm done. You know, somebody in weed science, you can handle some weeds. And I know there's some fields out there that are way worse than. Sorry, we have a little kid trying to play Play-Doh. Fine, go. Um, and they do look bad, but, you know, you can't go broke trying to, you know, keep the weeds down at a certain point in the season. I mean, you just have to just let it go. And, you know, there are certain weed densities that you can handle that don't affect the crop yield. And a lot of that will have to, you know, depending on how much moisture you have and whatnot. But if you don't have the moisture, then you're not going to have the moisture to you know, have the yield either. So you really have to weigh your different decisions. And I had some guys in central Illinois pretty early on this year tell me I'm not putting any more money in this crop. So yeah. Yeah. And there comes a point where you have to stop throwing good money after bad. And that's, I got an email from a a guy earlier this week. And it was, it's funny because he actually lives in what I would call the neighborhood. He's like 25 miles from me, but it's still the neighborhood when you're out here. I swear to God. And uh, I've always driven past his place and, and just been, in awe like it's it's the he's got a cow calf operation and and just this beautiful old farmhouse that sits you know on this gorgeous lot of pasture and everything and, and every time i drive by i'm like i want to go to there and so it was kind of funny because he, he emailed me and told me where he lived and i'm like that's where i want to be but he he asked he wants to expand you know but what do i do from a marketing standpoint how do i do it how do i figure out a way to pencil out land rent north of 250 and I said, well, you know, you have, for one, you have to be able to know what your yield potential is on that land. And for two, you have to be able to figure out what you're, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Is it $4 futures? Is it $4 cash? You know, and, and if it's if it's something that's beyond the realm of what you could have achieved this year, you know what I mean? If you need 450 futures in order to pencil out um, the costs associated with $300 land rent, well, obviously you don't need to rent that land for 300 bucks. And yes, someone else will probably rent it, but you're going to have to get used to the fact that someone else is probably either they they have made different decisions and you know or or have some equity um for different reasons that's like Jen said that's not your you know that's not for you to to judge or or you know piss and moan about. Well, I mean, well, and you, you better you better pencil out your own operation and know what it can yeah. do. You can't be putting in $8 corn And you everywhere. can't be going broke just to, you know, stop somebody else from being the think, one to get the land. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that there are people who who do that. Yeah. Um, and then again, that gets into your ego thing. And man, I don't know. I think you better decide whether you want to farm to make a living and support your family or if you're going to farm for fun and have somebody else support your family. I had a guy come to me last year, and he was 75, and he farms just north of where we live here. And uh, he owns, you know, a few hundred acres of his own ground out here, um, you know, or maybe it was a, over a thousand. I'm not quite sure the exact number because... Um, unfortunately everyone kind of starts to blur together other than my own customers. Cause I talk to them on a weekly basis, but, um, he came to me and he said, I figure that next year I'm going to lose $40,000. And I said, that seems like an expensive damn hobby. I said, you could save a hell of yeah, a lot exactly. of money, you know, 
Get yourself a bass boat. That's like one third of that 40 you're going to lose. And if you really feel like farm, you know, you need to farm, go ahead and sit in your combine and make tractor noises. I mean, what is the point of, of going in knowing that you're going to lose 40 grand? I sure as hell wouldn't work for my boss if I knew it was going to cost me $40,000 at the end of the year. You know, congratulations. You just. Yeah, that's exactly right. Know, yeah, because somebody, so is, really somebody is making the money is to fill that 40 The higher prices that he could have had, you know, a few years ago. I, I mean, don't he kinda, know. He was going to pay too high in rent, he figured, and was, I think it was, he was figuring, you, you can't, I would hope to God no one would say, I'm losing, you know, blah, 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 you know, versus what I could have got for $5 corn. And I do get customers that'll say that, that'll sell it, you know, 375 futures and, and the market goes to 390 and, and they focus on, I lost 15 cents. No, you lost the opportunity to make 15 cents. Had it dropped 40 cents. You would have, you know what I mean? Like it you could have, gone the other way. It could have easily gone the other way. You locked in a profitable level kind of deal. And that's one thing I always argue with guys. That'd be like me going to the casino, walking out empty handed and saying, I lost a hundred thousand dollars because I didn't hit the jackpot, <laughs> you know? Right. And so, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know his exact story. I just know when he came to me and said, I'm going to lose $40,000 next year. My first thought was, why would you do that? I understand if you buy a lottery ticket that, you know, you might lose, you know, 500 million every week. But yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, and that's what I don't want to go against because I don't know his exact story. And I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't people that are faced with that situation now currently um, through, you know, for the same reason that that guy from from Nebraska is dealing with. He thought he had something that was going to work out well for him and be profitable. And it, it didn't show up. You know, and who's that? That, that customer I was talking about, about the banker. banker. The banker came to me oh. and, and said, "Yes, okay, I see. I'm sorry." Was, um, you know, the banker's question was, "What do you do? When do you cut your your losses?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, obviously, it's easy to say now that it was before now, but you know," he said, "If if you know that you have to pay by December first, when do you put your foot down?" And blah blah blah, and and. You know, basically, they're asking impossible things because you don't know how to, to answer that. It, it all comes down to personality. You can't. You know, yeah. Well, there's no crystal ball anyway. And hindsight's always twenty. No, but as a banker, they're sitting there and they know that their bank's not going to further extend because this is the second year and the, the covenant covenants was to, to have it done, you know, paid off by DS one basically. So he's he's got to ship everything by November 1st or find alternate financing. And, you know, they asked, what do we do in that situation? I said, well, the, the first thing you do is you call him and tell him that there's no there's no wiggle room. You don't give him, you know, you don't wait until if it's due November 1st, you know, no, you don't wait until. Don't give him false help. Exactly. You know, and, and in part of my conversation with the, the bankers last week, I said, sometimes you just have to put things in writing. You know, because a lot of times there'll be a, a, a misunderstanding. You know, well, you said this, but I thought you meant that. And many times... I, I use that with Chris all the time. <laughs> that works. Carl just ignores me, so we don't have to even worry about that conversation. But, you know, so it's... I don't know. It's 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 going to be... It's going to get rougher. That's the worst part. Like, but at the same time, you know, have you guys noticed a change or a transition? When I started doing this in 2005, you know, the price of corn, my job that day, the, the my boss told me, okay... Here's a list of people to call. Call them and tell them that corn is a dollar seventy-five picked up, and see what they tell you. You know what I mean? And 
And that's what it was. And most of them told me, you know, that that day, well, as soon as it gets to 225, sweetheart, you give me a call and I'll sell you the whole bin. I learned one thing that year in particular is that as soon as it got to 225, no one sold me the whole bin. Um, <laughs> not, not, not at all. But you know, at that point in time, it was very, very rare to see multi-generations working on the farm, too. And now it's it's quite common to see, you know, 19, 20-year-olds getting started, um, you know, multiple 27-year-olds on the farm. You know, there's there's four or five families trying to live off from this income, too. And and um, I think that is is hard to to see or hard to do or hard to accomplish or I don't know. Do you see that too, Karen, with the farmers that you're working with or no? Um, I have a few that are that way, but they generally have other businesses involved with their farming. They either have trucking or something like that. Or they do a custom wife with work. a off farming. Yeah. yeah. Or they sell seed, you know, different things like that. Yeah. That, so they add in extra in, which I, that is one thing too. I think, you know, I, I, we just got done or I just got done railing on input providers. And, and for that, I apologize because I think that growth or that boom in that side of the business um, allowed for expansion that wouldn't have otherwise been. I mean, how many new uh, seed salesmen do you know that that is part of the supplemental um, income that wouldn't have otherwise had that opportunity maybe um, 12, 15 years ago? So, so hate mail here, but, um, you know, you got to blame the farmer a little bit for, for inputs. Um, I don't want to say going up, but being, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Farmers willing to pay it. Cause when the price is good, farmers are willing to pay it. And that when the price goes down, farmers think everything ought to react as fast as the markets, the market reacts and that everybody ought to understand that, you know, oh, well, now I'm not making as much money, so neither can you. And and businesses, normal businesses, just don't work that way. No. No. It's hard to see. Um, I know with the seed, they always, <clears throat> the salesmen always say, well, you know, it still costs us so much for the technology and for the research, and that hasn't changed. So the price yeah. of seed hasn't come down. It's well, did I see um, someone say that... Uh, Monsanto release some of their prices and there's there's bags of seed corn that are 400 that have a four in front of them have you seen that I saw someone oh tweet my it god no I haven't, I I haven't but you know <clears throat> they all have their discount programs and so they put out a certain price but that doesn't mean that people actually pay that price yeah I would agree wholeheartedly. It's like, here's our price list, but now let's start talking. Right. If you pay by September 22nd, you get this much discount. And if you pay by November 1st, or if you pay by December 31st, or if you take this many bags versus that many bags, then you get to or, pay Or, oh my price. God, if you'll store it for three years. I hate when they want to bring it like six months ahead of time. I'm not even done with this crop and you want to deliver the next mm-hmm. load of seed. I can remember customers of mine, though, in like 2006, 2007, um, the state of Michigan provided grants um, for covered um, fertilizer storage, chemical storage, things like that. So you, you, if you put it in a building and built a, a berm around it and did all of this stuff, the, the state was providing you know significant grants. And the customers actually had found that it really helped 
improve their ability to to narrow down inputs too because they could take oh, delivery definitely. you know on solution in December or something well, like and that. Well, if they build their own storage too, they don't have to go to the local place to buy it. They can truck it to the river that yeah. you know to the river and bring it back themselves. So we've had a lot of guys do that. We've had a lot of guys buy their own sprayers so that they can buy chemicals <clears throat> from anyone. Um and so they can shop around on the price and, you know, find the chemical they want for the best price. And so a lot, you'll see a lot of farmers have done that in the last few years. I have several well, there's that a lot have of done that, that to try and um, have more control over their own costs. Can I just say that I once heard a farmer say that um, he priced chemicals two places and then went to his local co-op and said, you know, well, this is what I can get here. What can you do me? And the co-op said, well, I can't even get it that yeah. cheap. And, and the farmer's like, why aren't you buying from these wholesalers then? Well, in that FBN, the farmer's business network, that's exactly what they've done. I mean, they were selling some generic Callisto well below what anyone else could get it for. And a lot of people bought it. So, you know, I mean, and that's kind of where, I mean, they've found a niche on certain chemicals where they can do that. And I had one guy, he went to two different retailers with the same, you know, umbrella company, same name, just different location. And the prices were completely different. Yeah. So you really need to shop around. And, you know, the most important business to keep locally is your own. So if you need to, you know, go to a yeah. different supplier to get a better deal, then do it. Yeah. And there's no Yeah, it's always nice to support local, but but in the end, your business is Even with the this most guy, local. I mean, he had two locations yeah. within 15 miles. I consider those both right. to be local. Exactly, so, they are. You know, whether you and choose one over the other, out. I mean, do what's best for you. You know, shop around, exactly. get prices, look at FBN's prices. You know, call some of the Again, wholesalers. Again, know your limits. I mean, yeah. if you don't have your own sprayer and you have to buy from the local retailer, I mean, that does limit your options. But there are a lot of farmers out there who bought their own sprayers and are doing custom work. Yeah, and on they the side. can work with you. Yeah, and you know that's kind of their side revenue, and they can work with you also. So you know, talk to some of them and figure out what works best for you. Yeah, and if you are one of those farmers though that are doing that custom stuff. Make sure you're working closely with your person that provides insurance too, because sometimes, um, you know, sometimes, oh, they, yeah. I, yeah, and I'd say, and I'm not saying anything, I'm not trying to be like, well, you guys are real dumb, so let me talk down to you about what you need to do. But you know, I have seen farmers who have went out and bought their truck and kept farm plates and did this and did that. And well, there's a certain level of insurance that's needed when it's your own farm because your your on farm insurance covers it. Versus hauling for the guy up the road, and for being uh, commercial, yeah, yeah. and and I get a versus lot of, you know I have seen it in you know over the years where you know Joe Farmer has his his neighbor guy haul some bushels and and you know something terrible happens and then everyone's arguing over who's going to cover that load because when you're hauling for your own farm you don't necessarily need cargo or you may not have cargo coverage that would cover you know it's just it can be a, a mess on that side too so just make sure you don't make a decision that could get your you know out of the frame right if you're going to spray it. chemicals commercially you need a commercial pesticides license and you also in order to get the commercial license you have to show that you have the correct insurance yeah at least i know in iowa and illinois you have to do that oh, yeah so yeah and that's why i mean and so there's other ways to increase your your on-farm income and to 
you know, really enhance your, your operation, so to speak. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard, um, right now. And obviously everyone's trying the best they can. You know what I mean? There's no one out there that's just flat out going out and saying, well, f*** it. We'll see what happens. You know, um, except that guy who said he was going to lose 40,000. No, yeah. Right. He's just like, send it. I'm going to send it. It's okay. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with off farm jobs. You know, having an off farm job doesn't make you any less of a farmer. And I hate when I hear that people say that. I mean, my dad drove a cement truck and farmed for my entire life, you know, up until he retired. And so I've always considered him a farmer, even though he did both. Yeah. You know, to me, I think it takes more skill to do both because time management is huge. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some folks act like if you have an on Holier than thou. Yeah, exactly. Like if you have an off farm job, you're obviously less of a person or less of a farmer or something like that. And that's not the case at all. Or if you don't have, you know, so many acres. Well, you know, what constitutes a farmer? I mean, how many acres? Yeah. You know, if you're growing produce, it could be half an acre. Yeah. You know. It just kind of depends. You so can go to a farm yeah, it goes market. all goes back to stop being a freaking douchebag. Yeah, so. just don't be a douche, man. <laughs> you know. So and and that's it's it's one of those things though that we're really gonna have to watch and and you know there's a couple of things out there that that as a farmer, you know, in in my opinion, from an economic standpoint, you've got to pay attention to your risk if if interest rates increase. You know, one that in particular. Um, you know, if you're standing a chance of, of seeing evaporating equity, you know, in, in our neck of the woods with that, that big farmer going under, obviously that land's going to come back into the, the pipeline to be planted by someone else, either sold, well, you know, it, sold didn't some other big farmer go under and that's how this big farmer got it. Got as big. Yeah. That was orchestrated by a bank. That was, it was a real interesting process when that happened. Anyway, I, you know, I'd have been a, that land is cursed. I pay a lot of money to be a fly on the wall, you know, of, of that conversation. But, but so that's, they could yeah, use and the And that's money. the problem. You know, my, my boss and I were talking about um, storage in Michigan, you know, buying more grain bins or whatever they may be. And, and, uh, you know, five years ago, people would have told you that, that storage commercial ownership or commercial storage was worth, um, worth, uh, three bucks a bushel, you know, and now we're talking, okay, well, if it dips below a dollar, we may look at, at expanding because, you know, this, the farmer that we're talking about in Michigan, that's very large has, you know, 9 million bushels worth of, of storage space that's going to come on the market. And, you know, we've got other elevators that are starting to kind of get shaky and may potentially be going under and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, we've been down this road before. Um, it just, it's, it's scarier because a lot of us weren't around when we were, except for Chris Campbell. He, he remembers. <laughs> He's ancient. He remembers. But no, and I mean, there's a whole generation of farmers that, that honestly, you know, they may have noticed that we've hit a speed bump or it's it's just not as, as fun as, as what it was, but they'll but be in fine. in comparison, I mean, none of the, the younger guys have gone through the 80s, no. you know. Between the no, drought in 88 God. and the high interest rates, they've not really felt that kind of pain, no. so... No, they, you know, they haven't. And, you know, I wouldn't wish that kind of pain on anyone. But, um, you, but you need to learn from those mistakes, even if you didn't feel it or live through it. You know, you, you need to learn. I mean, you know, we may never have $8 corn again, and we may, but it's nice to know 
It's nice to learn from it's that nice $2 corn. You, I mean, you know what I mean by that? You know, $8 corn didn't make everyone crazy. I mean, there are plenty of guys who are buying stuff now because they were smart then and didn't throw it out the window. You know, they saved it and for another day. And there's still people buying equipment and buying land and, you know, and building price you know, drop is the best we, time we, to expand uh, if you have it in you. Yeah. We, we, made, we made it through the hog crash of 98. And... Um, Chris always says my eyes glaze over when we talk money. And they do. It's like, you know, tell me what work needs done and I'll work my ass off. Want me to sit down and discuss books and money? I'm like, eh, whatever. I know what it means. I can discuss it. I can I can do whatever you want. Do I enjoy it? Yeah. Not in the least. Chris loves yeah. it. And, um, you know, we he is special. And we made it through the hog crash of 98. And I remember in 1998... I was pregnant. Um, I had a two and a half year old and I was working part time off the farm and um, things got pretty bad. And of course, you know, money makes my eyes glaze over and I'm like, whatever. And I wanted a new pair of shoes and the internet was brand new. And I ordered this pair of shoes and they showed up on the porch. And I don't think I've ever been yelled at so much. That, that pair of shoes was Chris's breaking point. He's like, do you know we have no money? And I'm like, it's a pair of shoes. But, but that pair of shoes, I remember thinking, oh, my God, we really don't have money because I can't have a new pair of shoes. And I know that sounds so, so trivial and childish, you know, of me to not realize that. But, but me, I was like, you know. And this is why you didn't I, get I a 25th know. anniversary present, yeah. Jen. It was this is probably why I didn't. Because I had a pair of shoes. I also remember. I also remember we have no no pictures of Christmas that year. So we had like this three year old daughter who has no pictures from Christmas, and um, of course, hog shit just eats work boots up. And Chris needed new work boots, and um, we had to buy him as his Christmas present. And I didn't tell him. I'd already been yelled at over shoes, but but I did buy him a pair of work boots yeah. for Christmas. And I was scared. I remember being scared when I ordered them. Oh, my God. What if I get yelled at again? What if we really can't afford them? You know, I just think you need to keep in mind whether or not you live those times, you can learn from them. Yeah. And that's I think it's just all hands on deck in a lot of ways. And and, you know, there's nothing wrong with making that hard decision either. Like there there's zero things wrong with saying, you know what? To hell with this. I'm not going to do it. You know, because you've got to be aware of how much your health and your peace of mind is worth as well, um, in my opinion. And and uh, but there is there's a lot to be be learned. You know, I have a lot of customers now that have been doing this for 10 years, but they started in 2007 after the, the RFS was released and when the prices, you know, we're, we're basically on the, the upswing and, and we had a, a dip in price in 2009 or 10, I think that, you know, took us back down to $3. But then we, we of course exploded to the upside after that. And, and, you know, so it, it didn't seem as though we would run into this situation to where we would be so stagnant in price, but here we are. And, and, you know, I fully believe that, um, we just are going to have to, to get used to dealing with, um, price levels the way they are price ranges the way they are and and get accustomed to that and of course once we do they'll change but that's what's fun about agriculture you know but overall well and i think yeah i think that you can't i, I don't know i go back to the putting on his books that he he's going out of business because he sold eight dollar yeah. corn five years ago 
You yeah. got to use your head. You got to use your head. For you you got to know your operation. And you got to know your operation. Right. Do what's best for you and your operation and not worry about the guy next door. That's the biggest thing. I exactly. think is, you know, if it does not work for you, then it just does not work. You know what I mean? Like, that's fine. It may work for someone else. That doesn't matter. You know, there are other people that, that you know, like we said, they they may not have, have tapped into their equity. They may not have this. Their costs may be much lower. You know, just because you can't break even at, at 320 doesn't mean that someone else can. But they're also not likely to be going out using, spending $300 on, on land rent. Um, you know. Or their wife isn't buying yeah, shoes during go, the hog crash. Yeah, I know, so, right? It's probably at my least fault. maybe they were leather. I, I just know. think everything yeah. is individual. Yeah, they were. They were. Um, and I think that you need to quit worrying about what everybody's talking about around you and focus on what's good for you. Because people are going to talk, Well, period. and it may not be good for them. They just may not have come to that conclusion yet. Yeah. They'll discover it exactly. eventually. So, You know... My my fa- my favorite saying is karma's a bitch what? only if you are. Good one. Uh, well, with that, you know, we we always um want to open this up. We want to have conversations about, you know, what we're we're talking about. We want to hear what you're experiencing out there um and and what you're seeing and and what you think you'll need to do or or what you expect to have happen as we move forward. So, you know, as always, we really appreciate you listening. And uh, we'll be back next week, uh, same time, same place, which is whenever we're able to get together. And we yeah, feel like it whenever life lets yeah, us. Yeah, we're busy. <laughs> we are busy people. So, all right, we'll get that. And with that, uh, we'll wrap her up. Have a good one.